You're listening to St. Pius X Catholic Church in Lafayette, Louisiana. Thank you for joining us. It's good to be back. We've had a couple of many breaks, I guess, over the last few weeks, retreat, which was wonderful. It's always good to take time, step back, and kind of reflect on where you are in quiet. And then last week, I took a little break and uh, went to uh, the beach, so to speak, kind of walked along the beach, a little cold to be out there uh, swimming in it. And again, a time for reflection post-retreat. Kind of how do you put the things into action, what God is maybe asking you to do? And so that's a perfect theme for what we hear about in our readings today. And in our readings today, there's certainly a theme of judgment. Are we ready? Uh, but then also, how do we put ourselves in a position to be ready for judgment? Our liturgical calendar, as we're Moving forward at the end of October and of course through November is generally geared towards the four last things. That would be death, judgment, heaven, and hell. So the four last things. And our job is each year, hopefully, to renew our focus on those four last things because we don't know the day or the hour. About a week and a half, we'll have All Saints Day, the church triumphant. We'll have... Uh, all Souls Day for the church suffering, meaning that they lack the fullness of the beatific vision. We will have a special memorial mass for those who um, have lost loved ones in the last year particularly, but as a parish community to come and, and support them. It'll be at 6 p.m. that evening. And we'll have our sign up, our board, with all of those from our parish who passed away last year. And we'll have it here to pray for people specifically, and then we'll move it over to the Marian altar mother of consolation uh, until Easter, I mean, uh, Thanksgiving. And we don't know the hour of the day, so we need to always be prepared. And that's part of what we want to reflect upon today. We just don't know. And so our first reading lets us know that God is a just judge, that he is fair, is fair to all, that he hears the cry of the poor, and he also knows who's doing well, not well, so to speak. And then we hear in our gospel reading today the disposition for being able to run the race well, which is what St. Paul is talking about. And so in our gospel reading today, it's the prayer of the publican. All of us should be familiar with it. It is the first act of contrition in the New Testament. And it literally is. It's an act of contrition that we can say in the confessional which I try not to advertise when there are too many kids around because we need them to learn the long one, right? But every now and again, I get someone who's broken the code and they know the short one. I'm like, okay. But the dichotomy between the Pharisee and the tax collector. Okay, so Jesus, he's talking to people who were convinced of their own righteousness. And then he tells the parable the two people go up to the temple or the prayer course, one a Pharisee, one a tax collector. Now, the Pharisee in the world is considered to be a good guy, a good guy, holy and righteous. A tax collector, not so much. I was trying to figure out what the modern-day equivalent of a tax collector is, and I would say lawyer, but I am one, so I'm not going to say that. And then I could say used car salesman, but I like the used car salesmen I met too, so, but you get the point. But the, the tax collector was considered to be uh, a bad guy, a sinner. They extorted people, generally speaking. That was their job. 
Uh, and among the Jews, it was much worse than that because they were extorting for the Romans. And so we have these two folks go up and the Pharisee said this prayer, I thank you that I am not like the rest of humanity, greedy, dishonest, adulterous, or even like that tax collector that's next to me. So it'd be like us walking in the church and saying, you know, sitting down and praying, saying, God, thank you so much. I'm not like everybody else, especially that lawyer that's sitting next to me, you know, and pretty harsh. And then he tells about all the good things that he does, fasting twice a week, paying tithes on his whole income, etc. Then the tax collector went off at a distance and he wouldn't raise his eyes to heaven. He was ashamed. He was ashamed and contrite about what he had done at contrition. And he beat his breast. That's the contrition, huh? That's the contrition. And all he said was, oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now Jesus finishes with talking about humility, which is something we've talked about in depth over the course of this year, about it being the foundation for being a disciple. We can't have faith, we can't have hope, we can't have love without humility. And there were three elements to it, three elements that we talked about. The first is that we recognize that God is God and we're not. Second, it's that we ourselves need his help, that we are helpless to do what we need to do for our salvation. Only God can help us. And then last, we recognize that we are sinners. That's our baseline as Christians, sinners in need of God's mercy. And all three of those elements are in the prayer of the publican. First, he addresses God. Oh God, he recognizes he's not him. Have, be merciful to me. Remember, mercy is not just about the forgiveness of sins. It includes the forgiveness of sins, God's mercy does. But it's not the only part of it. God's ultimate mercy is salvation. In other words, raising us from our fallen nature up to be more like living in his image and likeness as we were originally created before that darn apple, before the fall. And so we think of that prayer there as be merciful to me, lift me up, and then he recognizes a sinner. That sometimes we fail. That sometimes we do things that God commanded us not to do, or we also don't do things we are commanded to do. And when we think of that beautiful prayer, it is an act of humility. And in that, God can work with us. See, that God can work with us. The Pharisee is saying, I've arrived. I'm good. I'm there. I've got it handled. I don't need God. If we, if we don't have that disposition of humility, what do we need God for? What do we need God for? And so if we are always looking at the recognition that God is God, you know, we're us, the measuring stick is Christ. That's our measuring stick. That's how we're going to be judged. How Christ-like are we? You know, I think all of us, if we're honest, would say we don't quite measure up. We don't measure up. And so we're always a work in progress, always, with that focus on the eternal life to come. And so we go to our second reading, and that's what Paul is talking about. Paul is talking about competing well, finishing the race, keeping the faith, knowing that that crown of righteousness awaits us. And so our job is we look at the end of the year as the church 
struggling, as we would say, or the church militant. That's us, by the way. You know, we're struggling to hopefully live more like Christ, is to compete well, is to move towards the finish of the race, to keep the faith with the focus and the hope that it, the eternal life to come, that crown, will be awaiting us. And we always have to have that playing in the back of our mind. That's why we're reminded each year that this life is lived for the next, first and foremost, and that everything we do in this world should be geared towards being able to live in the next. And that's what we want to focus on now as we move to the end of the year. We'll cap it off Sunday before Thanksgiving, celebrating Jesus Christ as our King. Question becomes, does he really reign in us? Is he truly our King, a part of God? And where is he not? And where do I need to look in preparing for his coming at Christmas during Advent to make him my King? to have that relationship with him where he does regulate our lives. We know that he can help us overcome our sins, help us to learn how to love better, help us to move on that journey in this race to eternal life. And so we make that our prayer as we move forward. An open heart, truly humble, that will allow God to work in us. If he works in us, then we are able to get better and to run the race. And if we get better, then we're moving towards a judgment about which we need not be afraid. We simply need to make sure that we're in right relationship with God like the publican when the time comes because we don't know the hour or the day. And in competing and finishing well, I'll change the topic a little bit here, but there's certainly a race of sorts. Uh, when I left last week, we talked about the baby bottle campaign. Um, by the way, I got, I got braided by a child on the baby bottle campaign. I'll explain that in a second, but it's hysterical. Go back to the spray. Remember we had the, we have two fundraisers a year. We had the envelopes on the board for the youth programs and they had a range from like a hundred, $1 to 500, whatever you could do. We asked that you did and y'all did beautifully. Uh, and so anyway, when I was out there, it was a big crowd around the board and some people saw me and they said, I can't get to the board. And I said, well, let me help you because everybody will get out of father's way, you know. So I go and say, hey, can I, can I get you all your envelopes? Sure, sure. So I, of course I went and grabbed the $500 envelopes and handed it to him. Thank you very much. Got it for you. They kind of thought it was funny. Kind of. But they took them. Well, I go out for the baby bottle campaign and I always donate. And so I was going to get my baby bottle and, and there was a little one working the, working the bottles with mom, about four, preschool, and holds up two bottles and one is pink and one is blue and the child, the mother says, you know, boy or girl? And so before I could say anything, the child said, both, hand them to me. <laughs> so I was like, okay, God, does this mean I give half to each one or do I double it? And of course the answer was double it. You know, that's it's always, whenever you have to ask, you know it's the more. Uh, but pro, when we think of our pro-life movement, I had mentioned then that with the reversal of Roe versus Wade, the challenge is just beginning. And in the last few months, we've seen uh, a, a division of sorts. And in many ways, there have been a rash of, of vandalisms and, and say attacks on pregnancy crisis centers, which have been here since I was a child, 1977. My mother volunteered at one in Pascagoula, Mississippi. So that goes just a few years after Roe. And 
in that we're seeing a lack of prosecution on the other side for those who are trying to uh, work around abortion clinics being arrested like that and in ways that are kind of scary. And so my lawyer hat tells me that there's a little selective prosecution going on, a little bit of political wrangling maybe over how we use our justice system. And it's not just a suspicion. I mean, the facts are the facts. It's going and look them up. One of the reasons why we have a little more security is not because of the big ticket items in the news. It's more so because of the rash of attacks on I want us to be able to worship in, in peace, not be disturbed really more than anything else. But as we think of, of that, two things, pregnancy crisis centers need to help and we want to help them. And we'll have the thing, uh, the, the seminar on adoptions and foster families and the things we can do to help because we hope to have more life. Life is inherently good and we want to be able to take care of it. So first of all, that, and by the way, if you want, the baby bottles are still back there. If you want to put one in or we'll find a way to get it to where it's supposed to be. Um, but on the second part, of course, in the next couple of weeks, we have elections. And there's no doubt that our culture is moving away that, uh, from being pro-life or supporting the dignity of life uh, to not, to not. And also making elements of our culture, teaching our children things that are just simply not the truth. They defy common sense to anyone of my age group. I can't imagine some of the things that are being said. I call it gaslighting. What's up is down and what's down is up. But you guys know what I'm talking about. Just these simple truths about human nature that are being deconstructed. Our elections in the next couple of weeks are important. Please vote. Please make sure we use our conscience to do so. I know it's an off presidential year, but many of these cultural issues are being determined at the local level. And we need to make sure that we make our vote on what we believe the culture should be and the candidates who reflect it. Do not simply one off it because on those local elections, oftentimes that's where the seeds of the political movements and the agendas and the enculturation of our children in ways that really usurp parental authority, which is where obviously our children have been entrusted and where the ultimate influence should be. So please remember, uh, the coming weeks, we do have elections. They are important, even if they're probably more local than federal, a little bit of both, I think. But make sure that we take the time to learn about them, who we need to vote for, and to make sure we get out to the polls, either early voting or at the poll booths themselves, and to exercise our right, our decision, on what we believe the culture should be. We need to be active in this in order to perpetuate a society that's good for us, good for our children, and good for our grandchildren.